0: Amen. We can turn over to uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two, and we've been going through a uh, little series called "Standing on the Promises," and so far we've we've looked at a couple different things. First of all, first week we looked at Psalm one forty five, and we said that He's always with us. And it was a, a promise made, a promise kept was the first one. And the second one was he's always with us. And that was uh, last week in Judges uh, chapter 6. And so these are just, usually we go through books of the Bible. Tonight's going to be a little more uh, exegetical in the, in the text we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 2. Just because I think it's so important, it's hard to skip over a lot of the information here. But, uh, and so we want to start by reading Um, Ephesians chapter 2 and I'm going to just read from the very beginning verse 1 down to verse 10 And uh, we're not going to obviously go through all this. We're going to kind of summarize it But uh, Paul writes there he says in verse 1 and you were dead in your trespasses And sins in which you once walked following the course of this world Following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom." We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, But God, amen? (laughs) But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God, not of result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Uh, this is a wonderful section of Scripture. We are talking Sunday a little bit about knowing our position in Christ, who we are in Christ. Well, this tells us who we were before Christ right? And um, he kind of gives us here uh, three tenses, what what we were like, verses 1 to 3, um, what he is in verses 4 to 6, this is speaking of the Christian, and then um, verses 8 and 9 as well, and then what we will be like, uh, verses 7 and 10. And he gives us several aspects of our salvation. And I thought, I had another outline that was very general, and I thought, you know, I'm going to do this and spend a little more time on this text of Scripture because it's so important. If you get this wrong, you get the whole thing wrong, right? I mean, if you, if you don't understand you're saved by grace and, and where you came from um, and what you were saved from, you, you don't really understand the Christian life. And so tonight I just want to look at this, these first uh, several verses here and in verses 1 to 3 he talks about what we were saved from and he says here that before we were saved we were like every other person on the face of the earth nothing set us apart we weren't better looking than the others we didn't smell better than the others we were all dead in our trespasses and sins it says and in in the original language when it says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, it, it really is talking about <clears throat> a, a location, uh, indicating a, a sphere or a realm, you might say, um, in which something exists. So it's not like we didn't exist. We were dead. We were in sin. Um, and we were not dead because we had committed sin, Okay, this is very important. But we were dead because we were in sin. That was our position before Christ. We were in sin. And in the, the whole context of this, when, you, when he says here, trespasses in sin, they, they don't simply refer to just uh, things that we do. That's how we think of it. Oh, they must be a list of sins or trespasses. No, it, it's it's first of all talking about this sphere or this realm in which a person lives who's apart from God. Anyone who doesn't know Christ is apart from God. And so, it's it's not referring necessarily to the certain sin, because that's irrelevant. You're 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 in sin. You're born in sin. That's your position, right? Uh, so to, to to bring that home and, and help us understand that. We don't become a liar when we tell a lie, right? We tell a lie because what? We're a liar. <laughs> okay. And so we have to change our thinking on this. Um, someone doesn't become a thief just when he steals something. He steals something because he's a thief. And you can go through every sin and think that way. And we use that in reverse, right, when we're sharing the gospel with somebody. When we say, hey, well, do you think you're a pretty good person? And most people would say, what? Yeah, yeah, I'm a good person. You know, I do this this." and they go through their list of of good things. And you can kind of compare that with the word of God. You can say, hey, well, do you mind if I give you a little test whether you're a good person? Have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah, yeah, sure. Who hasn't, right? Well, what's that make you? A liar. Okay, have you ever stolen anything irrespective of its value? This value that's not yours. What's that make you a thief? Okay, you can go through that list in reverse. And so it, it's important that we understand that committing sinful acts does not make us sinners. We commit sinful acts. What? Because we are sinners, it's our position. We can't help it. And Jesus really confirmed this in Matthew 12, 35. He said, the evil. Man out of his treasure brings forth what is evil. And the things that proceed out of the mouth come from where? The heart, right? And those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and slanders. And so when we stop and we think of our, our position outside of Christ, if we don't know Christ, it's not a very good one. We're in sin. We can't help but sin. And when we come to Christ, and when he frees us and forgives us of our sin, what happens? For the first time in our life, we can actually do something that's pleasing to God. And not to get our salvation, but because we want to. We want to serve him. We want to, we want to serve the body of Christ. And so, you know, those words, trespass and sin there, trespass simply means to slip or to fall, or you could say to Stumble. Okay, uh, go in the wrong direction, one commentator says. Uh, the idea of sins, it originally carried the idea of what? Missing the target, right? Remember, you, you probably heard the illustration of somebody shooting a bow and arrow and you miss it. Well, if you don't hit the bullseye, you've sinned. That's the whole idea. And what's God's standard? Perfection. Perfection. <laughs> so, left to ourselves, guess what? We're never going to hit the target. We need, we need salvation. We need a savior. Um, and so it, it comes to represent something that's, that's uh, missing or, or even falling short. That's what Paul refers to it as um, in, in, in his writings. Um, in the spiritual realm, it refers to missing, falling short of God's standard of holiness. It's the most common general term for sin, uh, harmatia, and it's used 173 times. Okay, so it's, it's, it's a very common word. And um, in Romans 3.23, Paul says what? All have sin, right? And what? Falling short of the glory of God. So he even defines what sin is for us. And sin is falling short of God's glory, and falling short of God's glory is sin. And that's what we need to understand. And so, first of all, we, we are, are saved. Salvation is through faith, but it's, we're saved from sin. And until you understand what you're saved from, you don't really understand your salvation. Okay, there's a lot of people that, that are uh, saved that don't understand what they were saved from necessarily. And so their, their, their Christian life is, is kind of waffling. But when you realize, wow, God saved me from a place that I couldn't have saved myself, you tend to be a little more what? Thankful, right? A little more gracious. And so that's what he kind of explains there in the first three verses. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so we know that someone who's dead is what? They can't function, right? I mean, they don't breathe. Their heart doesn't beat. There's no brain waves. Um, you know, you don't have to be afraid of them because they're not going to hurt you. They're what? They're dead. <laughs> okay? And, and so here, when you when you think of that, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. It really designates that that position that we are outside of Christ. So... We're saved from sin. We're saved by love in verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us. So it's from sin, but we're saved by love. We're saved by God's love. I mean, when you stop and think of God's love, it's, it's, it's unending. It's overflowing. It's abundant. And Here, he relates it to his mercy. He says in verse 4, but God being rich in what? In mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is God, what? Withholding, right? What we deserve. It's when you got in trouble when you were a little kid and you did something you weren't supposed to do, but you confessed it to your parents. You should have got punished, but you know what? They were nice and they withheld the punishment because you were honest with them. Okay, Um, and so God's mercy here is—it says it's rich, it's overabounding, it's without measure, it's unlimited. You can't even imagine how deep the mercy of God is. And see the the two words here, but God show where the initiative is. Because up to this point, up to the but of verse four, guess where, where we're at? We're dead. We're, we're in a coffin. We're dead. We can't do anything. But what, what happens? But God. God takes the initiative. God's love takes the initiative. God's mercy takes over. And his great desire is to really be rejoined in fellowship with his creatures that he created for his own, out of his own image for his own glory. And we... Are removed from Him because of our sin. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. But God, because He was rich in mercy toward us, and He had a great love for us, so much so that He provided a way for us to return to Him. Right? Um, and, and that's where, when you think of what Paul says, you know, but God demonstrates His love toward us, and that while we were what? Yet sinners. I mean, Christianity is one of the only world religions that I know of where you don't have to get cleaned up um, to come to God. You can't clean yourself up. It's impossible. You need his grace. You need his mercy. Um, and I think that it's that's an important point that we need to be re- reminded of. In Romans eleven thirty six, 36, it says... For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And it's, it's important that we understand that our salvation is for God's glory. It's not for our own glory. But it's initiated by his love. For God so what? Loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. But it's also our salvation is into life. We're saved from sin. We're saved by love, but we're saved into life. Look at what verse 5 says. It says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That that phrase there, by grace you have been saved, shows up twice there and in verse 8. That's how important it is that we understand that. It's not by your own doing. You didn't figure it out one day. God saved you, and he saved you into life. I mean, what's the, the, the greatest need of somebody who's dead? Life, right? I mean, that's what they need. I mean, they don't need a million bucks. They're, they're not going to do anything with that. They don't need a new car. They don't need a new condo or an apartment. Or They don't need anything. They need life. Well, when we are dead spiritually, the one thing we need is spiritual life. Life. And that's what salvation gives us. It gives us spiritual life. And, and Paul here is really trying to encourage these believers who may have doubted that the power of Christ was somewhere active in their lives. And Paul reminds them that if God was powerful and loving enough to give them spiritual life together with Christ, he's certainly powerful enough to sustain that life. This is what I don't understand sometimes when people say, well, you know, you can gain salvation, but then you can lose it. No, you can't. It's impossible. Why? Because you didn't do anything to gain it in the first place. And God's not going to take it away. He tells us very clearly in his word that there's no way that, that, you know, we can be separated from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And so, if he's able to hold us fast, the song we sing, he's able to sustain our life, he's able to bring it back from the dead, that power that raised us out of this dark place of sin and death, when it says made us alive, it's, it's, it's in the aorist tense, it means it's done here and it's forever done. Ongoing circumstances. Ongoing consequences. Together with Christ, once again. You notice how many times in Christ, in Christ, with Christ. Because without Christ, wh- what do we have for an identity? We're dead. <laughs> we have nothing. Absolutely nothing. We need to be totally dependent on Christ. Uh, and I think it's it's so so important that we realize that this is everybody. It doesn't mean whether you're Jew, Gentile, whatever. We all need Christ. We all need to be saved from our sin. We all need to be touched by God's love. We all need to be brought from death into life. We became spiritually alive through that union with the death and the resurrection of Christ. And once that happens, that transformation happens in our life, and we're a new believer, that's the first time that we can actually do something for God that can honor him. The Bible says all of our works outside of Christ are what? Filthy rags. They're dirty rags you just want to throw in the trash. And, and Paul here is telling us that we need to be awakened to the, the newness of life in Christ. And it's important that we understand that because if we don't understand our position in Christ, guess what? Then we're going to be out there trying to do things that we shouldn't be doing or we're trying to make ourselves that we can't accomplish. We're going to get very frustrated in our Christian lives. Look at, uh, turn over to Romans 6. Romans 6, just real quick. I just want to read this for us. Romans 6, verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? This is Paul. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who, look at what it says, who died to sin, still live in it? See, we were, we were dead in our sin. Christ brought us alive, and he made us dead to sin. Amazing. He says, do you not know that all of us have, who have been baptized into Christ, this isn't talking about water baptism, it's talking about when you are saved, you are placed you are baptized you are dipped into Jesus Christ you are identified with him you were baptized into his death he says verse 4 for we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too what might walk in newness of life And he he goes on there and continues with that whole thinking. And it's so important to understand that, that, you know what? Okay, we were once dead in our sin, but now we are made alive in Christ. He brought us back from the dead. But what the problem is, is now God says, you know what? Now you're you're dead to sin for the first time in your life. And I don't think a lot of Christians understand that. And you say, well, does that mean we never sin? No. (laughs) Or why would we have 1 John 1, 9? Right? Since we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we are going to sin. But we don't have to live in sin. That doesn't have to identify who we are any longer. For the first time, we can understand spiritual truth. Think back when you first became a believer. When someone shared the gospel with you and you first responded affirmatively and you obeyed the gospel of Christ and you came to him and his spirit indwelt you and you opened up the Bible for the first time and you started to read. And you're like, wow, why didn't I see this before? Right? Your spiritual eyes were open. And the spirit enlightened your mind and and your whole being so that now when you read verses in the Bible, all of a sudden they jump off the page at you. Because God has given you spiritual life. Um, because we now have, as a believer, we walk in the newness of life. We have God's nature. We now can seek godly things, not just fleshly things. Colossians 3.2 says, seek the things that are where? Above, right? Rather than the things on the earth. Don't seek those things. And that's what results from being alive together with Christ, um, our new life is, should be indistinguishable from his life. That's why we call ourselves what? Christians, right? I mean, we emulate Christ. We're supposed to. And it grieves the heart of God when people call themselves Christians, but they're, they're living anything but a Christian life. And so in Christ, we cannot help but be pleasing to God. So we're saved from sin, we're saved by love, we're saved into life. In verses 6 and 7, <clears throat> slowly getting to our text, verses 8-10, through 10, 6 and 7, he says we're saved with a purpose. He says, and he raised us up with him, and what? Seated us with him in the heavenly places, In Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, this is the future aspect of it. We started in the past. We were dead in our sins. God saved us in the present. And now this is kind of pushing forward into the glorified state. He says that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You thought getting saved was great. If we don't have any idea what God has in store for us, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be overwhelming. It's hard to conceive of it. He saved us with a purpose. Um, salvation has a purpose. It has a purpose in relation to us, and it also has a purpose in relation to God. Uh, the direct result of salvation is to be raised up with him, as we just read. And it says here to be what? Seated with him in heavenly places. Not only are we dead to sin and alive to righteousness through his resurrection, but we also enjoy what his exaltation as Christ was exalted. And we share in that future glory of heaven. Think about when, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember, Lazarus come forth. He comes forth. What's the first thing Jesus told the people standing around to do? You remember? In John 11:44, it says, Unbind him and let him go. Here's poor Lazarus. You know, they, they, they wrap him up, you know. He's got all kinds of spices on him and everything, and he comes jumping out of the, the hole in the rock there wherever they laid him in the tomb. <clears throat> and Jesus is looking at everybody, what's wrong with you people? Unbind them. Take this stuff off them. See, a, a living person cannot function while you're wrapped in the trappings of sin and death. You're, you're, you're shortchanging what God is trying to do. And so when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it was very common sense to take all that stuff off him. <laughs> Poor guy. Right? It was just—it basic. And why can't we relate that to our Christian life? So many times we hold on to the trappings of sin and death, don't we? We bring them over to, to this side. And we want to still participate in some of the things that the world has to offer that are not honoring to the Lord. But we have to... Truly understand, a living person cannot function while they're wrapped in the trappings of death. And where is our citizenship now? Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is where? With Christ in heaven. It's not here. God seats us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are no longer of this present world. We're no longer of the sphere of the sinfulness and rebellion we see going on around us. Yeah, we've got to live here for a little while that's about it. We've been rescued from spiritual death and we've been given spiritual life. In order, why? So we could be with Christ. That's the purpose. And to be with Him in heavenly places. Heavenly places basically refers to that supernatural sphere where God rules and reigns. Um, It also can refer to to the supernatural sphere where Satan rules and reigns, too. I think that's over in uh, Ephesians 6.12. Yeah, 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces, there's the same word, of evil in the heavenly places. So just because it has the word heavenly and it doesn't mean it's all good. (laughs) Um, And so we we need to be reminded of this, that we are inheritors of all that God has for us in Christ. This is our position in Christ. We're no longer, our purpose is no longer to live in sin. Are we going to sin? Yes. That's where God's grace comes in. That's where his mercy comes in. That's where we go to him and we confess our sin. But positionally in Christ, we are perfect. When God sees us, he sees his son. Someone once said this, you know, if this was Christ, if my Bible's Christ and this is us, when we become a Christian, God goes like this. What do you see? You see Christ. You no longer see that, the sinfulness of that believer. It's been forgiven. It's been forgotten. God buries our sin in the depth of the sea. I mean, if we could just get our mind around that, Because so many times when we fail and we sin, or I'll speak for myself, when I fail and I sin, I beat myself up. Not just, you know, usually one day. It's usually going on, you know. And sometimes it's just like, oh man, why does this keep happening? Whatever it might be. And God's, God's in heaven going, what are you talking about? Don't you understand I forgave that? That's forgiven? Just confess it and move on stop trying to put roots down where they don't need to be put down begin to realize that you are in Christ and that's where god wants us to realize our position i mean when we realize where where god what god has for us in 1 peter 1:4 Peter says that we will one day receive an inheritance, listen to this, which is imperishable. You ever inherit something and something happened to it? Maybe you inherited a ring and you lost it. Maybe you inherited a house and it burned down, whatever. Maybe you inherited money and it's gone. We're going to inherit something An inheritance which is imperishable, it's undefiled, and it says it will not fade away. Will not fade away. There's no fear of that. And it's reserved where? The Bible says in heaven for us. It's not here on this earth, it's in heaven. And so we need to be clear um, that we are saved from sin, we're saved by love, we're saved into life, we're saved with a purpose. And verses 8 and 9 were saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. See our response to God's offer of salvation is one of obedience. It's it's obedience and faith. That his promise to us, that you know what, if you put your faith, your trust, in the the sacrifice of Christ on on, on the cross for your forgiveness of your sins, guess what? I'll forgive your sins, and I'll assure you, you will be in heaven one day with me. And there's a lot of other things that go along with that. And when you're entertaining that, it's a step of faith. There's no contract that God, you know, hands down from heaven and goes, here, sign here. (laughs) You know, you don't have a little private meeting with God in your bathroom and, you know, he meets you there. No, we don't see God. God's invisible. And so it's by faith. Our response to God's offer of salvation has to be by faith. And you say, well, what if I don't have the faith? Guess what? None of us do. What, do you think you're going to come up with your own faith? That's what some people believe. You know, yeah, then I I, I finally had the faith to believe. No, you didn't. (laughs) You didn't. How do I know that to be true? Faith doesn't come from you. It tells us right there. For by grace you have been saved through faith. What's the next sentence? And this is not of your own doing. Oh, you mean even the faith is God's thing? Yes. <laughs> the Bible says that God set his love on us before we ever even thought of loving God. So, as Christians, you know, we don't need to be patting ourselves on the back. Look at me. Look at how spiritual I am. Look at, I found God. This is, you, know, some you hear people and their testimonies, you know. And sometimes, yeah, then I found God. My question is, why well, did you know he's lost? I mean, think about it. We, we're using the wrong language when it comes to our understanding of our own salvation. Or you hear people say, well, then, then I made Jesus Lord. Really? He wasn't Lord before you made him Lord? I mean, think about it. It's crazy. But people say this all the time. See, faith is nothing that we can do in our own power and there's nothing within our own resource bank that can produce faith. It's impossible. We don't have the adequate power or the resources. God doesn't want us to rely on our own resources, does he? That's our problem. I was just talking to somebody, I uh, think it was in our men's group the other day, and we were talking about prayer, and, and sometimes, you know, that... Uh, We miss opportunities for God to really work in our lives because maybe we find ourselves in a certain situation and rather than take it to the Lord and earnestly pray about it, what do we do? We try to figure it out on our own. And most of the times God's gracious and provides for the need or whatever. But because we haven't been praying about it, we miss, miss the whole idea of, wow, God answered my prayer. I mean, you need a new car. Say you need a new car, and you're praying for a new car, and uh, all of a sudden, boom, God provides a new car for you. I think you'd feel a lot better about that process than going out and looking and looking and looking and finally finding your new car, and then in the end never praying about it, and then in the end going, oh, praise God he gave me a car. But, you know, when you're really praying about something, when you're praying for the, the, the lost soul, that, that family member that doesn't know Christ, and maybe their life's all messed up, and you're going, man, God, I don't know if you're ever going to answer this prayer, but I'm going to keep on praying. And then one day he does. And that person's transformed, and they're saved, and you're, you're talking to them all of a sudden about spiritual things, and you're going, whoa, what just happened? I mean, why are we so surprised that God works that way? So we need to be trusting God more Every day. God doesn't want us to rely on our own good works, our own ingenuity, our own resources. He wants us to rely on him. Um, And the reason he gives us as well. He says it's not your own doing, it's a gift. (coughs) It's the gift of God. Now, Usually someone gives you a gift, it's usually the appropriate thing to say what? Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. And it's even more appropriate when you understand the gravity of sacrifice that that person made to give you that gift. Um, when we were in India, one of the pastors gave me this little, it's just like a little booklet. I mean, it's, it didn't really mean anything to me, but it meant something to him. And I remember, you know being gracious and saying thank you, thank you. But uh, at the same time, I, I, on the way home, I'm thinking, it's not a big deal. I mean, I can probably buy this online. For, you know, but it meant something to him. And when you realize that probably this is something that somebody gave to him, because he didn't have the resources to buy it for himself. And it's not like he can go down the store and buy another one. The whole, the whole, the whole scenario changes, right? Then you realize, wow, you, you kind of want to cherish that. And when you stop and you think what God did for us, how he provided for us through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we stop and we think about this is not our own doing, it's a gift of God, and then he tells us why. Why does it have to be a gift, God? Why can't we work out our own salvation? Why can't we work on our own salvation and save ourselves? Well, he tells us, not a result of works, what? That no one may boast. God knows this. He created us. If there was even a little smidgen of hope that we could come up with some ingenuity on our part or our resources to add to our salvation, to add to the salvation process, what would we be? We'd be in heaven bragging. We would be bragging all day long. Yeah, sure, God did most of it, but you know what? Here's what I did I believed. And we'd be bragging until the cows came home. And so he says, I, there's, no, there's no place for boasting here because you don't have anything to start. You're a dead person. You had absolutely nothing. You couldn't work. You were dead. And I gave you a gift, a gift of life, a gift of salvation. And I think that when we begin to comprehend that, that faith is presented as a gift from God, and we see that over and over again. Look over at Second uh, Peter. Second Peter one one. He tells us there. Second Peter one one. Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith. Of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Or look at Philippians one twenty nine. Philippians one twenty nine. He says, for it has been granted. it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. It should be granted. It's it's a gift. It's something that's given to us. I remember reading this, this story of this man who came to town for this big revival tent meeting that was going on. And... Unfortunately, he got there several hours after the meeting had closed, <laughs> and it was over. And all the workers were taking down the tent, <clears throat> and there was no evangelist there. He had moved on, and so he asked one of the workers, what can I do to be saved? He wanted to get saved. So what can I do to get saved? And the workman who was taking down the tent, he was a Christian, And he replied this way. He says, you know what? You can't do anything. It's too late. (laughs) And the guy's like, wait a minute. What do you mean? I mean, what do you mean it's too late? I want to be saved. And the worker said, you know what? The work has already been accomplished. It's over. It's done. There's nothing you need but believe. But believe. See, every person lives by faith. When you get in the car and you push the little button or you turn the key by faith, uh, hopefully it'll start. You know, you go to a restaurant by faith; you're eating the food, right? I don't. I've never gone back to the kitchen purposely to see what they do back there, right? As long as it tastes good, I'm good. I don't want to know the horror stories of restaurants because it just ruins the whole experience, right? Um, With that being said, don't ever drive down the alley behind a restaurant. Not a good idea. Got all the workers out there. They're smoking and drinking. And it's like, oh, man, what are they putting in my food? Just ruins the whole experience. But see, this, this work of salvation has already been accomplished. And, you know, we get there by faith. But even faith comes, what, by God. It comes by God. When you drive across a bridge, you have faith. That it's going to hold you. Um, I mean, you can't live one day without exercising faith to some degree. Uh. Things like church membership, baptism, communion, confirmation, giving to charities, being a good neighbor. None of those things can save you. They can't, it's impossible. Why? Because they're all good works. They're all, they're all human works. And the Bible says you, you're not saved by your works. The only thing a person can do that will have any part in salvation is to exercise faith in what Jesus Christ has done for them. And even the exer- exercise of that faith is a gift from God. It can't be a human act or we would be adding to our salvation. A person who is spiritually dead can't make a decision of faith unless God, what, first what breathes into him the breath of life. So that's where you get into theology, the order of salvation, right? Order of salutis. What came first? What, well, you can go there and try to figure it out. I don't think you're going to be able to. Because, remember, God is not limited to time. God transcends time. As a matter of fact, the Bible even says in Ephesians 1, That even before the foundation of the world, God chose us in Christ. Well, we weren't even here. How did he do that? I don't know. Ask him when you get to heaven. But he did just that. And then it says here, back to Ephesians 2, verse 10, that we are saved through faith, but we're also, and this is kind of the whole subject matter tonight, that we're saved onto good works. We're saved onto good works. We didn't have any part in gaining our salvation, right? Um, But I think that good works have a great deal to do with living out our salvation. We're not saved by our good works, but they are the fruit of our salvation. No good works could ever produce salvation. But there are a lot of good works produced by salvation. And I think we all notice that and see that in our our own lives. Uh, John 15, 8. Jesus said, by this my Father is glorified that you bear what? Much fruit, right? Not some fruit. Not one fruit. Much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. How do you know if someone is genuinely a believer? How do you know if someone is genuinely being saved? You should be able to look at their life and say, wow, I see fruit on that tree. A fruit that depicts Christ. Good works don't bring discipleship, but they prove it to be genuine. And that's where a lot of times, you know, I've been in, in churches where, boy, you know, someone prances down the aisle and they raise the hand in the service. and well, well, welcome to the family, you know. Just pray this prayer. You know, Jesus, I just accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying for my sins. Amen. Wow, now you're a Christian. What? Is that how it happens? Read through the Gospels. Did Jesus ever do that with anybody? No, what did he say? He said, if you want to follow me, what? Well, you might want to deny yourself first. You might want to consider taking up your cross, which is not something you wear around your neck, nice little gold piece. It's an instrument of death. So what's he saying? Well, you've got to die to yourself. Oh, really? So that means you're probably going to leave behind family if you're Jewish, because coming to Christ was not a very popular thing for a Jew to do. So they would lose their family. They would lose their social status. They would lose any business dealings in that community. They'd be excommunicated from the synagogue immediately. So tremendous sacrifice. We, we don't understand the word. We have no idea what it means to sacrifice to come to Christ. I mean, you think in some countries, even today, they're cutting off the heads of Christians. Unless they convert to Islam or whatever. It's crazy. And you think, wow, what would I do in that situation? We don't understand the concept of sacrificing here in America. When God's people do good deeds, they bear fruit for His kingdom. And what happens then? They bring glory to His name. See, this isn't to get a pat on the head. Oh, good, you're doing all those good works. Oh, look at that good Christian. No. You're just a sinner, what, saved by God's grace. That's all you are. And you have to acknowledge his work in your life. Uh, the Bible says a lot about works. It speaks of the works of the law, which are good, but they can't save, in Galatians 2.16. It speaks of dead works in Hebrews 6, verse 1. It also uh, speaks of the works of deeds of darkness and of the flesh, works of the flesh. In Romans, Galatians, Ephesians—you can go on and go on, do a whole word study on works. But all those works are done in man's own strength. All those works have nothing to do with salvation, and that's why even when Jesus was here on Earth, He was constantly pointing out what the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. You remember? I mean, they came out all dressed up in their fancy robes and they'd stand on the corner and they'd pray loudly so everybody would look at them and go, oh, look at how spiritual they are. And what did Jesus do? They're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. Wow, major insult to a Jewish person. So he didn't like being around dead things. <laughs> you call a, a Jewish person a whitewashed tomb. That's a major insult. But it was true. They were empty spiritually. You know, I think of the church I grew up in, the Roman Catholic Church, and a lot of those people are empty spiritually. You know, they wear these robes and have all this fancy stuff they do. But you know what? I figured out real quick, there's nothing to it. There's no depth there. When you question them on things of any spiritual significance as a believer, they have no answers. Just keep doing the thing. Just keep coming to the Mass. Just keep going to confession. Just keep taking communion. Does that mean I'll be in heaven one day? Well, not really. (laughs) You know, you'll probably end up in purgatory. And then, depending on how much your family gives the church after you die, then that depends on when you get bumped up to heaven. It's so crazy. You know, I like to do this. Follow the money. It's all about money. A lot of people don't realize the Catholic Church originally, their priests... We're allowed to marry. They were allowed to have a family. And then some pope figured out, you know what, we're going through a little money crunch here for the church, so uh, all you priests, you have to basically kick out your wife and your children out in the streets because we're not going to pay for them anymore. And by the way, you're not allowed to be married anymore. Uh, So now you have to be single because, let's see, we'll tell them because you're fully devoted to God, that's why. That sounds good. And now that you just disavowed your whole family and your children are orphaned and your wife has no means of income, uh, we're going to make people call you father. How's that work? I mean, crazy, right? I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up. But that's exactly what they did. See, it's, it, it, that kind of religion goes nowhere. God has ordained that we live in our lives Full of good works. He's prepared for us many works to do as believers. But they're not a means of our salvation. Uh, In John 15, verses 1 through 8, he, he speaks of this. He says, I'm the true vine, Jesus says. My Father's a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. Why do you prune a tree? Why do you prune a branch? So that it will bear more fruit. Ask anybody that deals with this kind of stuff. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you, unless you abide in me. Abide means to kind of make up your dwelling, make, a, make, make your home. And he says there... Um, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. There's that word again, much fruit. It's never just fruit. It's much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, what happens? Well, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they're burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear, there it is again, much fruit. And why do you want to bear much fruit? Because you want to prove that you are his disciple. It's not just a given. We're we're giving that title to too many people today, I feel. You know, they haven't really proved it. These are verifiers of true salvation. So Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that we should work out our salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation. He says work out your salvation. Because why? It's God that's at work in you. So you're not working for your salvation. You're simply allowing God to work out his salvation of you through you. You're an instrument. right? And and God is just, through his spirit, doing good works through you. And Paul's primary message there was not showing them how to be saved, but how they were saved. He wasn't preaching to the Philippians saying, oh, here's how you need to get saved. He he was trying to tell them how to convince them that the power that saved them is the same power that keeps them saved. The greatest proof of a Christian's divine empowerment is his own salvation and the resulting good works that the Lord produces through him. And these are works that he created for us to do beforehand. James 2 tells us that. But here in verse 2 it says, For we are his workmanship. The original language there, poema, it's, it's the word we use for poem. Like a poem. Um, it's workmanship. It's a piece of art. And before time began, God designed us to what? Be conformed to the image of his son. This is what God clearly tells us in his word. And that's why Paul can say in, in Philippians 1.6, For I am what? Confident of this very thing. I'm confident of this, without a shadow of a doubt, that he who began a good work in you will what? Will perfect it, will complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. It's not even in question. It's a promise that we can stand on solidly. I remember this little kid in Sunday school, this story's told, and he's just always being real obnoxious and, you know, a little elementary kid. And finally, the teacher, he's a guy, he got frustrated with the kid, and he says, You know, why do you act like this? Don't you know who made you? <laughs> and the little kid goes, You know, yeah, God did, but he's not done with me yet. See, I mean, that's, that's us. God's not done with this yet. We're not going to live some life of perfection here on this earth. We can't. There's sin all around us, that the body is sinful, everything going on. But he's not finished with this yet. He's at work. He's making his will known to us each and every day. And so I think that just in closing, when you stop and you think of, hey, here's a promise that God gave us, a purpose-filled promise, a promise of salvation, that he's going to save you, he wants to work through you. Well, what does a, a, a Christian life of service look like? What does, what does it really look like to serve the Lord? Is, is serving the Lord, you know, cleaning the toilets here at church or mowing the grass or Playing the piano? or Is that what it is? I mean, I think that's what we think. We kind of check it off. We like to check things off. Oh, I did this. I did that. This is good. And those things are good. But is that really a life of service? I think a life of, of service here in closing is sure to benefit others. Um, this is what, what the Lord tells us clearly in Matthew, verse twenty. 6 and 28 of Matthew 20, whoever wants to be great among you must be your what? What does Jesus say? He must be your servant. And then he said that even himself, the Son of Man, what's he say? He came not to be served, but to what? To serve others. See, whatever the specifics of your calling in life might be, as far as career, as far as location, family setting, it will involve It should involve to some degree serving others. I mean, every job I've ever had, and I've had a lot, I've always had to serve somebody. Whether it's the customer walking through the door, whether it's the person pulling up to the gas pump, whether whoever it might be. People you're serving, you're serving, you're serving. So when you wake up in the morning, Ask yourself this question, how will what I do today bring benefit into the lives of others? When you wake up, ask yourself that question. How will what I do today bring benefit into the life of others? John Wooden, the basketball coach, said this, You cannot live a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you takes away all the motivation, doesn't it? You cannot live a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you. I mean, serving others is good, but I think also a life of service brings attention to God. It brings attention to God. It's it's important that we understand God calls us to serve Him For his glory, not our own. 1 Peter 4.10 says each of you use whatever gift that you've received. We've all received as a believer spiritual gifts from the Lord, right? We all have something there. Whatever gift you received to what? To serve others. That's the whole purpose of it. It's not to serve ourselves. It's to serve others. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. I mean, this is the fundamental, I would say, distinction in a life of service. We're not doing good works for the good of ourselves. That's not the beneficiary of those good works. We're not serving merely, we shouldn't be serving merely for the recognition, you know, the pat on the head. We do what we do for who? For the glory of God. It brings attention to God. Psalm 115 verse 1, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory. We need to be reminded of that. And then thirdly, a life of service is not only to benefit others and bring attention to God, but it also brings you closer to God. Uh. well I thought you said positionally we're as close to God as we'll ever be well that's true I mean if someone were to ask you how can I get closer to God the answer might be well, you know what spend more time in his word spend more time in prayer um, spend more time listening to worship music or participating in worship or going to church or reading Christian books we, we have all these things right but if you want a, a fast track, if, if you want to really get closer to God, my answer would be, you know what? Serve him and serve his people. Serve him and serve his people. Something happens in that process. And I think it's the process that, that God set up for us, right? He gave us the example of Jesus. Jesus didn't come. I mean, he was God, <laughs> in a bod and he came down to earth he didn't walk around ordering people around you know hey, you know here tie my shoe you know do this clean my foot he didn't do that he said i didn't come to be served <clears throat> i came to serve and when you serve you become more like him and that is what god's ultimate goal for us is and this is where this promise of salvation leads to god's long range plan for all of our lives is that we become more like Christ each and every day. Each and every day we're conformed more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And when you put the needs of others ahead of your own, guess what? That's becoming more like Christ. I think sometimes, you know, I I think of the Christian life kind of like a parade. Have you ever ever planned to go to a parade and you missed the parade? I remember one time in San Diego we were in uh, college and they were having some parade in San Diego and my friends and I were driving down there and we got there just about the time the parade was like half done. And the place we were at, we were getting like the last float. So my friend had this ingenious, idea: let's run back to the car and we'll go. We know where the route is and we'll go to where... The the parade hasn't gone yet. (laughs) And so we all thought, well, that sounds good. So we get in the car, you know, not accounting for traffic. We never saw any of the parade. (laughs) Not even nothing. Because we missed the whole parade. I mean, we got there and there went, you know, Santa or whoever it was, the last guy in the, the float, you know. All the bands were gone. Everything was gone. And I feel a lot of times people in the church feel like, wow, I think I missed a parade. You know, they're coming to church. They're trying to do everything. But you know what? A a guaranteed way not to miss the parade, get in the parade. Be part of the parade. I mean, be the person that's playing in the band or working on the float or or doing whatever or or prepare for the parade. Then you're guaranteed not to miss the parade because you'll be there early. See, but we don't think that way. We're just there to what? We just want to watch the parade. Don't, don't ask me to do anything. I don't want to put flowers on a float or scoop up the horse manure after the parade goes. Through. I don't want to do any of that. I just want to watch. Then I want to pick up my little chair, fold it up, and go home. That's how we treat church. I mean, what's the harm in saying, yeah, you know, church starts at 10 sometimes, 10 or 5, Whatever. <laughs> Whenever Ken starts church, it starts. <laughs> I know, I know. He's usually waiting for me to get over there. So, But anyway, <clears throat> full confession. But, but think about it. What's the harm in, in getting here 20 minutes early? Maybe, maybe you'll be able to minister to some visitor the first time here. Think how weird it is in a small church, and we are a small church, Somebody gets the gumption up. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to church. And they come to church. And they get here at 9.55. And they walk in. And there's two people sitting there. (laughs) And you look around like. Wow. I don't know if I want to go to this church. And nobody here. See part of the ministry is providing. Comfort for those that come. You know. Nothing wrong with getting here a little early. It is the Lord's day. Right. I mean I think that's that's so important to understand. And I'm not you know, I'm not trying to browbeat here. I'm just saying, you know, when we when we if we would practice that as a church, wow. You know, we'd be ministering to newer people. Maybe we minister to a brother or sister in Christ while they're here, you know, you could relax, have some coffee, do whatever you want. Come over here at 9:30 for the prayer time and pray for the service. I mean, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that can take place. When you have the idea of, you know, I don't want to just watch the parade. I want to be in it. I want to be part of it. I want my life to count for something more than just myself coming and deciding whether I like the music or the message or whatever. And Hopefully they'll have some good food afterwards, which we usually do. But there's so much more to be had is what my point is. And you, you understand that when you're, when you're participating on a fuller, fuller uh, involvement level. So let's pray and uh, close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we don't have to just sit by and watch idly the parade go by uh, every day or every week. Uh, Lord, we can participate. That you've called us to be your children, you've given us gifts. Um, there's no excuse for us not to be involved a greater degree even those of us who are involved a lot we need to be involved more father what are we really working toward here we're working on becoming more like christ i don't think jesus necessarily took a day off i don't think he said i oh, you know what? i don't have time for you now or the lord was always ministering he was always serving and that's our model and we're not going to completely be like jesus but we can definitely try a little harder. I think all of us can. And so, Father, we pray that tonight that everybody who's hearing this message will understand who they are in Christ, understand the wonderful gift of salvation that you've given to us and the gifts that, spiritual gifts that you've given us to serve the body. It's not to serve ourselves. It's to serve the body of Christ. And so I pray that that would increase in our own lives. And Lord, if anyone... You have to put their faith, their trust in Christ, Lord. I pray that they would cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I know I can't generate this salvation on my own, so I'm, I'm at, at your feet, Lord, begging you, save me from my sin. That's a prayer that God will answer if you pray it in faith, believing Christ to be your Savior. So, Father, would you pray for our fellowship now and just pray that you would bless our time. Give everybody a safe trip home. And once again, we pray for the folks in Florida, you protect them and preserve life. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.